Great. Hello. Oh, wow. You really can't see anyone, can you? The lights are in your eyes here. Um, great to see you. My name's Nat. Um, we are going to be kicking off our series in Philippians, a book in the Bible, tonight. And it's my joy, really, to um, start that for you. I love the Bible. Um, and uh, Paul's letters are absolutely superb. Um, I'm just going to move things around a minute, so just bear with me a sec. I like to have this to the side, really. Let me just move this over here. Get a bit of space. Um, brilliant. There we go. It's on the screen. Hello. Um, so, Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in uh, Philippi. You can read about and Philippi is in modern day Greece. And you can read about this in Acts 16. Acts, another book in the Bible. Um, and Paul wrote this when he was in prison, probably in Rome. And um, really, the book of Philippians is not dealing with problems. It's more of a thank you letter. He's written it really to thank um, the church in Philippi who gave the, him a financial gift um, whilst he's in prison. And I'd really, it's a really easy book to read. Like, it's just four chapters. There's no particularly difficult bits in it. And if you're not used to reading the Bible or you struggle reading the Bible, I'd really encourage this week, read the book of Philippians. Um, we're going to focus on verses 12 to 21 tonight. Where's my clicker? Um, and... Yeah, but before that, I'm just going to I'm going to start at verse one, just to give us a bit of context um, in in it. You won't see. Here we go. So there, there's from verses 12 to 21. So at some point, you will be able to pick it up when I get to verse 12. So let me just start at verse one of Philippians chapter one. It says this: Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now we're on the screen. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This wonderful letter. This wonderful letter, Lord. Thank you for your word. Speak to us through it tonight. Come, Holy Spirit. Take these words and get them in our hearts and change us. Amen. Brilliant. Well, there's several things I want to draw out from this passage tonight. Um, But the first thing, really, is just notice Paul is absolutely consumed with the gospel. Absolutely consumed with Jesus. Look at it there. I can't read it from here, but you can see all the bits I've underlined. Where he's saying, you know, advance the gospel for Christ. Confident in the Lord. Proclaim the gospel. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. Christ is preached. God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Christ will be exalted in my body. To live is Christ. Like Paul is he's absolutely consumed with Jesus. He's absolutely, for him, it's everything. First up is Jesus. So Jesus there is, is exclusively the one. There is no one else near him. There is no one else, some rival or anyone else on a par with Jesus. For Paul, it is Jesus. He is, he is it. And later on in chapter 2 in this book, he writes that Jesus, he says that God has exalted Jesus when he raised him from the dead and given him a name above every name, a name that every knee must bow. And so right at the centre of what we're going to talk about tonight is Jesus. If you don't remember anything else, Jesus. I'm going to unpack a bit more about Jesus in a bit, but Jesus is at the centre for Paul and is at the centre of this letter. Now, I was in a little meeting recently and the guy in there just asked a very simple question that I found incredibly challenged by. And he said, what did he say? He said, are you committed to the gospel? And he didn't ask at me, it was just kind of in passing. Are you committed to the gospel? And I thought, oh, wow. Am I? <laughs> Am I committed to the gospel in my own life, in what it means to believe God's grace and to live that way, to live out of his love and his forgiveness? Am I committed to the gospel in my local community, amongst my neighbours and my friends? I was really convicted and challenged by that simple phrase. You know, when Paul was in Philippi, it's a great story. Go and read it in Acts chapter 16. But he sees a number of people become Christians. He sees you know, rich people, uh, poor people, strange people, uh, wealthy people, men, women, and they respond to this call of the gospel. And they come from a place of not having faith in Jesus to coming to that place of faith in Jesus. And Paul is utterly committed to the gospel. And I just wonder how it is for us. I wonder how it is for me. Um, I wonder how it is for us. So right at the beginning, Jesus is at the centre here in what Paul is saying. There's three other things about how Paul keeps Jesus the centre in this letter that we're going to quickly look at. And the first one is verse is 12 to 14, is in his sufferings or in his problems or in those trials, in those things that aren't going his way, Paul keeps Jesus the centre. In verse 12, and I've not really been able to get over verse 12 of this letter, it's absolutely superb, it says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me, he's in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. Absolutely remarkable. I think I've got that verse up there. There it is for us just to focus on for a few minutes. And this first point is going to be my longest one, uh, and then the, the next two points are going to be a shorter, just to let you know. But remember that Paul, he's written this from prison, probably in Rome, um, he was in Philippi maybe 10 years previous to writing this letter. Um, and the, in, when he was in Philippi, he was also in prison. He, there was a bit of a, a riot and the authorities put him in prison. Um, and it says that at night, him and Silas, they were praying and they were worshipping and singing. 
And there was this earthquake that happened. That God sent an earthquake and the doors burst open. And although Paul and Silas didn't run away, they, they eventually saw the, the jailer um, converted to be a follower of Jesus. And the next day they were released. And it's interesting, I'm sure it would have been in Paul's mind, writing back to that church in Philippi, what happened to him when he was there 10 years ago. The fact that God miraculously set him free, really, from a prison. And yet here he is in Rome, and there is no miracle, miraculous release. And Paul's writing this, and I'm sure this is in his mind. But he's not confused about it. He's not thinking, why has God not rescued me? He's not confused because, what's it say here in verse 12? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me now. It might have been different to what happened in Philippi 10 years ago, but God is still using it to advance the gospel. He's not confused. Paul is able to see God at work in prison. Why? Well, one of the commentaries I read in preparation for this said, the reason for Paul's remarkable attitude was that the advancement of the gospel was his primary goal in life. Paul, Paul, the advancement of the gospel was his primary goal in life. And I just wonder, you know, maybe we don't think in these terms, but like, if I said to you, what's your primary goal in life, what would you say? Don't, don't shout it out, but what would you say? Now, there's a guy called Jordan Peterson, who is slightly controversial to some people, but I think he's fine. Um, and he's a Canadian professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. And um, he... Um, he was being interviewed by Jonathan Sachs, who's a rabbi, on Radio 4, because I like listening to Radio 4. Um, and um, I've got this quote from Jordan Peterson. He says this. We've been fed a diet. Imagine this in a Canadian accent. We've been fed a diet of happiness and rights for two or three generations. It's thin gruel. Lots of times in your life, you're not happy. And if you think the purpose of your life is to be happy, then during those times that you're not happy, you're bereft. And that's not helpful, because life is very difficult, and people go through very long periods of time where they're trying to bear up under a very heavy load. It's much better to let people know that it's meaning that sustains people and not happiness. That's really, isn't that interesting? That happiness shouldn't be our goal. But I think for an awful lot of people, it can be. You know, Jesus should be our goal. <laughs> As followers of Jesus... Because it's in him that we find meaning. And it was for Paul. And I think, um, you know, so often other things can become more important, can't they? And they become and take the place of God, like, you know, success or intimacy or uh, people's opinions. And um, you can almost think of them like idols, actually, in our hearts. And uh, we can offer up to them all sorts of sacrifices, can't we? We make all sorts of sacrifices to uh, make sure people's opinions of us are great or to see successful or, or, or to find intimacy and all sorts of worship and devotion. And uh, Tim Keller, uh, who's a pastor in New York, he says this. He says, these idols, these idols that are not God, these other things, success, intimacy, people's opinions, these idols, if you get them, they'll never satisfy you. And if you fail them, they can't forgive you. If you get these things, they'll never actually satisfy you. And if you fail them, they have no power to forgive you. It goes back to what we were saying earlier. It is Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. He has the power to satisfy. He is the one you are looking for. 
think I said that in the last talk I did back in June. Jesus, he can satisfy your deepest desires in a way that nothing else can. And if you fail him, he, because he has died on the cross for our sins, he has the power to forgive you and give you a new start. Jesus is what you need, is who you need. Now again, Paul, I don't know if you know that much about him, probably some of you do, um, but he's a real man of action. He's absolutely adrenaline for Jesus. Like he is... He used to kill Christians, and then he had this vision of Jesus. And if you were here this morning, I thought Joe did a great job explaining the life of Paul. And he used to kill Christians, and he got converted to be a follower of Jesus. And his every fibre of his being is travelling around the Middle East and the Mediterranean Europe, telling people about Jesus, seeing people converted and starting churches. Absolute man of action. He's so committed to Jesus. He's, and, and I was listening to a podcast really recently with a guy called Tom Holland, who's a historian. He's not a Christian. He was having a chat with Tom Wright, who used to be the Bishop of Durham. And he says this about Paul. He says, Paul's letters, I think, are, along with the four Gospels, the most influential, the most impactful, the most revolutionary writings that have emerged from the ancient world. Wow. Wow. He had such an impact And yet here he is, probably in Rome, writing this book, this letter to the Philippians, locked up in a room, chained to a guard, surely cut off from his calling. But no, how does he respond? Let's read this again. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Sitting in a room, chained to an officer. What a lesson for us. Do you know, when we're in situations we don't want to be in, when we're shut off from doing the things we feel called to do, when we're locked up, unable to do what we used to be able to do, maybe, God is still at work. God is still at work. Let me just say this in a slightly different way. Um, what's life like? Let's see what comes up here. That's, that is your life, isn't it? That's my life. Just, you know, yeah, easy, just shooting off, getting better and better and better as the years go by. Uh, no, of course it isn't. Um, that's still my, my life that's my life <laughs> is that your life? maybe maybe there's some plateauing there straight bits as well but that's my life like that you know that so often we think you know God's only at work if, if it's all kind of going well and we need to get back to that high point but what do you do what do you do there? what do you do in that bit? what do you do when you're in prison? What do you do when things, you can't do the things you used to do? What do you do when you're shut off from that thing? You know, when things are not going well, do you know, it's not about, it's not about writing off those periods, this bit I've just circled up here, writing them off and waiting for the next high. You know, it's, God is at work in those things. You know, we're going to come unstuck, actually, if we aren't able to meet with God in those periods. I was listening to um, the new Mumford and Sons song um, on their new album, Doubter, that came out recently. I don't know if the album's out yet, but this song's out. And it says, don't sit with folded hands and become blind, even when there is no star in sight. You'll always be my guiding light. And you know, I think it's so easy in those situations to sit with folded hands and go blind. Actually, when things are not as we want them to be, when things are difficult to think oh well I can't connect with God here but actually it's a really healthy and mature thing it's to be able to reflect on a situation and say no God is here God is at work where is he let's work this out 
Because following Jesus is hard. It is hard in this, in this world. And the promise Jesus makes us is not that life's always going to go well. It isn't that you can have whatever you desire or you feel like you need. Um, it's that I will, Jesus says, I will be with you. Jesus is with us. I have called you and you are mine, says Jesus. You know, there's that song, isn't there, Sam wrote, and there's a line in it that says, there is no place without hope. There is no place without hope. And I don't know how you're feeling. I mean, do you know, a room with this many people in it, there's going to be a whole range of different things going on in your lives at the moment. I just say to you, there is no place without hope. Whatever you are going through, big or small, there is no place without hope. Second thing for Paul that he keeps Jesus at the centre of is his preaching. Wow. Is his preaching. What do we see here in verses 15 to 18? I'm not going to read it all. But what we see here is that people have got different motives, Paul says, for preaching. Some of them are trying to stir up trouble and all sorts of issues. And we could talk about that. And there's loads of good things we could say about our motives in preaching. But what Paul is really pleased with is that people are preaching about Jesus. Paul's focus is on the gospel. And that's a question for us, isn't it? Like, because preaching can so easily, or maybe we don't preach, very few of us actually do this thing, but like whether we are in our small groups or whether we are, whatever we're doing, actually keeping Jesus and the gospel front and centre in what we say, the glory of Jesus front and centre in what we're doing, because we don't want it to become about self-help, we don't want tips to become a nice person, any good advice, this is about Jesus, the Son of God. And keep Jesus central. And you know, I'm not going to give you a gospel presentation at all, but like there are certain themes in the gospel, which is that God loves us. And these things should be affecting the way that we speak. God loves us. That sin is real. <laughs> sin is real. I'm a sinner. So are you. Um, without Jesus, we're lost. Without Jesus, we're lost. And God does stink for us. That we cannot do for ourselves. There is grace that God does something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. That Jesus dies for our sin and that our faith in Jesus reconciles us to God. It brings us back into relationship with Him. Um, I was at a, uh, a part of my role with Cat about heading up life pods. I go around to life pods and visit them sometimes, see how they're doing, and just to kind of get a feel for them. And I was at one recently, um, and we were having a little chat um, about the idea that Jesus uses when he says that we're to be the salt of the earth. And um, I don't know if anyone's read a book called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. Anyone read that book? No? I can't see any hands. I can't see anything anyway. So uh, up here with this light. But um, the whole purpose of that book really is about salt is not meant to stay in the salt shaker. That salt is meant to do something. It's meant to get into a situation. And, you know, in terms of the gospel and Jesus and our preaching or our sharing about Jesus, it's something we, we all have responsibility um, to share Jesus with this world. But unless we get ourselves into places that need Jesus, they're not going to hear it. It's going to be going to stay in the salt shaker. We've got to get out. And like Whether that's going to the pub regularly, whether that's going down a particular coffee shop, whether that's joining the tennis club, whether that's just something at work. You know, I knew a lady who, and she's not here, this is not a story about anyone around here, but she went to the gym a lot. And she got to know the people at the gym. She got to know the manager at the gym. And she said to them, could I run an alpha course at the gym? And she hired a room at the gym and she put on an alpha course and a few people came. 
And I thought, brilliant. Get out of the salt shaker. Get into situations that need a bit of salt in them and do it. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Get yourself in position. And thirdly, and finally, Jesus at the centre in our future. Verses 19 to 21, um, Paul says some great things there and I think you know being a Christian is a bit like getting married um do you know at a wedding you say all sorts of bonkers things don't you Uh, you know those vows like for better for worse you're committing for it to get worse for better for worse for richer for poor you are committing for it to get poor uh in sickness and in health you're committing it to get you know what I mean you commit yourself to like all of these lovely and horrible situations when you get married and the Bible calls that a covenant, and we're not going to get into what a covenant is tonight. But do you know that becoming a Christian is a bit like that, and God says that to us. God is like, we're thinking about our future, whatever comes, for better, for worse, I am with you. In richer, in poorer, I am with you. In sickness and in health, I am with you. I am committed to you. I am the faithful God, and I will be there in your future, however it turns out. So for Paul, for whatever comes, he is certain that Jesus... Is there. He says here, in no way will I be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so as now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. He trusts Jesus. It is all about Jesus for Paul. I just encourage you, work out what that means for you, for your life, for the way you shape your life, for your priorities in life, to be all about Jesus, and the way you use your time, your money, and your thoughts. Because Paul says right at the end here, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. May that be true for us too. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Maybe the band could just begin making their way up as well. Let's pray. I don't know if anything I've said has been helpful, but maybe you might need to say yes to Jesus for the first time tonight. Maybe life is very hard for you right now and and you're confused about what God is doing and you just need someone to come and stand with you in that. Or maybe you've let stuff get in the way of Jesus and you need to say sorry to God. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much. Pray for people, Lord, as they respond to you. Lord, draw near. Just welcome more of your presence, Lord. Draw near, Lord. Jesus, we want you to be right at the centre of what we're about. Sorry when we've not let that, that hasn't happened. Jesus. Why don't we just, if you want to, stand as these guys begin to play. If you feel like one of those three things, you want to say yes to Jesus, you're going through really difficult times, you're confused. We know the stuff that's got in the way of Jesus. If you want to um, respond to that, why don't you come forward? I think maybe we're coming over to this side for prayer and someone will pray with you. Why don't we just...
spend the remaining time um, meeting with the Lord, continue to meet with the Lord. <laughs>